Welcome to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast, brought to you by Blue Fletch. We discuss technology topics related to Android and workforce devices and how they intersect with business and mobility. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blue Fletch Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Gore from Ivanti's Wavelink division. And uh, Brian, maybe give us a little bit about uh, about your role, what you focus on, and then maybe even back it up and tell us about uh, Wavelink and specifically where you guys focus. Okay, sure, Brian. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I am the manager of sales engineering for the Americas for Avanti Wavelink. Uh, I've been with the company now for about seven years. Um, however, I've been in the industry for 25 years now, which uh, is kind of an amazing number to put out there, um, thinking back on everything. Um, from a from the standpoint of Avanti Wavelink, we are a, uh, a business unit of Avanti, uh, which prior to 2017 was better known as Landesk. So, um, you know, from an historical standpoint, that's what a lot of people will gravitate to and know, you know, from from historical purposes. Um, Wavelink itself was founded in 1985, so we're you know, we've been around for forever, it seems like. Um, and we focus on warehouse and supply chain solutions uh, around the AIDC market. Um, traditionally, we have focused on our telnet application and our web browser. So that's that's been our bread and butter for years and years now. Uh, we also have our device management platform, which in the past used to be uh, or was known as Avalanche or still Avalanche. And now we've recently transitioned over into Neurons for MVM is our is our new product. So that handles a lot of the Android enterprise market that we were starting to get into as well. Got it. Um, got 16 million devices out there, 24 out of 25 of the top supply chain um, companies, 80% market share in the telnet world. So uh, we are a we are a household name when it comes to supply chain. Yeah, and as as manager sales engineering, I, I feel like I always see you working with this client or that client. Your your main mm-hmm. job and your team's main job is really to be out there in the field, working with people and actually hands, you know, hands in in warehouses and building right. up, setting stuff up, right? Yeah. So our, our responsibilities are are definitely customer focused, um, whether that be directly with customers or through, you know, partners like yourself. Um, we are the, the the technical feed on the on the street, if you will, definitely. Awesome, excellent. Um, I, I guess you, you mentioned this, but the the green screen versus the Divanti browser, actually, like looking at a browser with with I feel like in the last couple of years, even like probably the last three years, I've seen a lot more people moving to that solution, so using it for SAP, like ITS. It's been a, a lot of people are, are picking up for that. Um, is there a reason? why like people are moving away from green screen is it just dying and you can't buy the servers in the back end and now everybody's moving to a web a web view yeah i think it's it's more scalable from a from a technology standpoint it utilizes you know newer technologies whereas you know the old wms systems you know they're written in uh you know different languages that, that a lot of not a lot of people know and that you know nowadays when they're coming out of college so to support them to um, evolve them and keep them current is harder and harder. Um, you know, however, they when they were built, they were you know they were very solid pieces of uh, of applications, and so they've been running for 30, 40 years still. Um, but customers are starting to see the value in migrating off of those and looking at something like a web application is the most scalable. It's it's widely supported. You're not tied to a you know specific piece of hardware 
or a backend system, it's it's very open, uh, if you will, and there's a lot more that you can do with it. Um, you know, and then we we tack on with our browser capabilities to provide some of those services and and functionality that you don't get traditionally with like an off-the-shelf browser such as Chrome or, or, or Internet Explorer, if you will, some of those type of browsers. Got it. Do you do you feel like the the route for people, I know I've seen some people go to the web, like with web apps mm-hmm. and web visibility for the warehouse versus native apps. And I feel like native apps always give you higher performance, which is one of the reasons why people were stuck with green screens, really around performance. But do you see a route or a divergence of one way or the other amongst any of the customers you work with? We, you know, we, we see a little bit of both, um, you know, in our space, I, you know, I feel like the browser applications provide a little bit more flexibility in what you're doing. Um, a lot of it also depends on your, your workforce or your, you know, your IT department. If you have the the capabilities and the, and the people to not only develop it, but continue to maintain that native application as the devices come out with updates and, and enhances and fixes and all those things, that becomes harder for some people to man, to manage and maintain. And so they then will shift over to a web application where there's not as much backend support that they have to worry about. It's all about the code and what runs on the browser, much less the browser and, and the device and this and that. So there's a few more things with a native app that I think people have to consider that the browser eliminates from, from that equation. So a lot of it depends on, on the capabilities of the customer. I've seen it both ways. Um, I think the web applications tend to be a little bit more flexible though. Yeah, do you, do you have a sense of like the, the time horizon for green screen? I know Wavelink's been around for 25-ish plus years doing this and yeah. like our experts at it. And I feel like every like five years, people are like, green screen's dead. It's not gonna exist anymore. And then yeah. five years out, it's still there. Is there a time horizon where you think that'll eventually end or is it still going to be you know, 20 years from now, there's still going to be a good segment of customers still running like legacy green screen apps? You know, 20 years out is, is a hard, that's a hard one. Um, I think we're definitely closer to the end of those, those green screen uh, systems. Um, you know, like we mentioned, it's harder to support. It's harder to build out your, um, you know, any new process flows that you want to introduce into your workspace, all of that's getting harder. And the even the infrastructure that's required to run the systems from a hardware standpoint, that's getting harder to support as well. So um, I think there is going to be that finite time when, when these green screen applications just do disappear. Whether it's 10 years, 20 years down the line, it's hard to see or hard to say, but I think we're getting closer to it. Um, and and pretty soon that joke's gonna gonna come to you know fruition and, and green screens are gonna be dead. This this will be the year I start my, my COBOL developer certification is gonna it's not gonna get reviewed that year. I know everybody knows COBOL just I send a shiver down their spine all of a sudden. So we'll, oh, <laughs> all, three about this. all three of them. That's right. That's yeah. so good. Uh <laughs> I, I think the one of the other things that are interesting is I, I've been a lot of warehouse and there's always the people are using apps, but there's still a, a huge prevalence of pen and paper, like people tracking things in pen and paper. And it's, yeah. it drives me nuts. Cause it's like, yeah, you write something down and then it ends up on a stack of papers on your desk and it may not ever make it into your computer. Like what's, what's yeah. your thoughts or what are you guys doing around um, sort of digitization or, or modernization process for a lot of those pen and paper processes? Yeah. So you know, just recently here, we launched a new 
a new avenue of our platforms and solutions called Neurons for IIoT. Um, as the name would suggest, you start thinking about the Internet of Things, sensors, robotics, that sort of thing. But one of the aspects that we take into consideration is velocity and the device itself being an, a, a thing, an Internet of Thing. So with velocity, what we've done now is we've augmented that with introducing what we call business process automation, commonly referred to as forms. And so we are doing just that. We're taking those clipboards with pen and paper and checklists that get, you know, half the time filled out correctly. And then they all end up on a desk underneath a coffee mug and whether or not they get filed correctly or if anybody knows how to find the one form out of a hundred or so to, you know, to, to see that data, you know, we're taking all that now and we're going to be able to digitize those forms and then submit them to our IOT platform. So they can then, you can, you can have actionable events on those, on those pieces of data, but then we can also do some more analytics on that data so it's no longer just a checklist on a piece of paper. You've got that for historical purposes, for um, you know OSHA requirements, if you will, for like a forklift checklist. Um, if you've got any sort of validations or, or whatnot that you have to pull out and prove, hey, I did this correctly, or I shipped this product undamaged, you know, from our warehouse, things of that nature, you now have that trail electronically that you can not only search and provide that proof. But then you can start doing analytics on, you know, how many of my forklifts are damaged over the last 90 days? What are my top five reasons for failures? Um, you know, which locations in my warehouse are, are being used the most for staging locations or which dock doors are being loaded the most? All kinds of analytical operational data that you didn't have access to before. We're now going to be able to provide that through our IoT platform. And, and the forms is the quick and easy way to start getting some of that data into the IoT platform so you can then start realizing what, you know, what that data is all about. What's the, I guess on that note, I feel like data eventually leads to the ability to actually have good AI. Do you, do you see a lot of AI out there or is it still experts and people with systems like looking at data? Like what's the, what's, what are you seeing out there in, in most of your clients? Yeah, we're, we're, we're not seeing a lot of the AI in in full uh, full use yet. We, you know, it's a lot of there's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of wondering what can be done and how it can be done. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before that becomes another another avenue of, of automation within the warehouse. Um, you're going to have a, a lot of that decision making process and, and data gathering done through some sort of an AI platform. But but for us, I think a lot of it's going to come from, you know, whether it's the WMS systems or the, the top level systems coming down to the individual worker in the warehouse. That's kind of where I see it funneling through. Um, you know, Velocity and, and some of the Avanti platforms are going to sit somewhere there in the middle. Um, and then a lot of our server side solutions like IoT and, and our MDM products, you know, those are going to probably see some of that AI integration probably sooner than the actual worker in the warehouse. Got it. And I, I guess the, the data capture like streams, there's a bunch of different streams. You can do it the traditional like a, you know, a zebra or Honeywell scanner or mm -hmm. a, you know, voice picking is one. I've seen people start to use cameras, actually have cameras that are using, doing camera analytics. RFID is something I'm starting to see a bit more yeah. traction on, especially with some of the, the new FISMA requirements. And then 
I think the other thing with, with robots and sensors, we, we see all these things people are talking about. Is the bulk of data you're seeing, is it still being collected from handhelds and from voice picking? Or is there is there a trend to move towards some of these other me- methods, either the, you know, the camera or the RFID routes? Yeah, so we're you know we're we're starting to see a little bit of that a little bit of that the you know the bread and butter is still you know, you know barcode scanning and, and and that sort of thing, but we are seeing RFID trickle in more and more. You know the, the the jokes always this year is the year of RFID, and I've been hearing it for seven eight years, um, but I do think that's you know we're seeing more of it. Um, the the data that we're going to start seeing from sensors and other you know IoT type products in the warehouse. That's really going to catch on, you know, sooner than later, I think. And there's a lot of there's a lot of data to be gleaned from that, and a lot of interaction that we can do as a company um, with the handheld device and velocity to interact with um, a lot of that data that's out there with sensors or robots or um, or RFID you know, cameras with 3D dimensioning and and some of the things that we can do now with the cameras. Um, there's there's a lot of untapped potential i think out there in the warehouse with data and i think we're just now starting to see the mechanism for collecting that in a meaningful way where where we can actually start using it where in the past it was you know nice to haves and and what ifs and and things of that nature i think a lot of that's starting to come true yeah it used to be here's here's a big spreadsheet go go sort through this and find the anomalies yeah exactly yeah on the I guess you mentioned this, the robot, robotic side. I was in a warehouse, I think probably about two, three weeks ago with one of our clients and they're starting to use the Boston Dynamics is like the one that drives around with an arm. It grabs stuff out of the mm-hmm. back of a trailer, looks at it, has cameras, and will actually go to the part of the delivery dock where it goes to get um, shipped to, you know, across the warehouse. You know, it's yeah. probably the first time I've seen like somebody in, at scale using that type of robotics. Most of the time it's done edge and other things, but what is your your thoughts around where robotics is going? Do you think it's going to start replacing a lot of the the jobs or the even even the labor or jobs we can't fill in some of the warehouses? Where, where do you see that in the next like three or four years? I think I think the you know robotics that we're going to see in the warehouse is going to be a lot of around. I think it's going to help with the worker shortage that we're seeing. Um, you know, I think that's kind of an initial spot where people can look at adding functionality and, and efficiencies. Um, you know, obviously, you know, a robot is gonna have, you know, things that they can do and in and, and a repeatable fashion that, you know, as humans, we're not as apt to do. Um, I think right now what we're seeing is a lot of the um, kind of co-mingling of robotics and, and humans right now with a lot of the cobots and fetch uh, robotics and things of that nature. Um, but I do think there's going to be some places where, um, you know, we, we look at robotics today, say like on an assembly line, a lot of that's going to start branching out into other parts of the warehouse and into like picking processes and put aways. And, um, you know, and there are going to be some some areas, I think, where where the robots, uh, you know, do take over and um, they're going to, you know, they're going to be providing some of those services that as, as a human uh, we used to you know we used to rely on and now the robots can come in and, and take that place and then your your warehouse becomes more I don't want to say more efficient but they they do evolve because there are you know I've seen warehouses where it's it operates in complete darkness 
and the shelves are you know this close together. And as the robot comes in, they'll it'll expand, let the robot come in. They'll go up and down, pick their product, and then it closes back off. So they they save space, they save time, they save energy. Um, there's a lot of things that um, that can come out of the robotics. That it'll be interesting to see what we see over the next three to four years. But I think definitely in the next ten plus years, we're going to see a lot. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time and see how all of our products that we do and work with today integrate with with you know what the robots are going to start bringing. Yeah, so Brian says robots are not afraid of the dark and they're not claustrophobic. <laughs> no, they're I've, coming. Yeah, I've I've seen those uh, those they're giant like cubes that are you know twenty meters high that their robots yeah. just roll up and down and back and forth. It's really crazy. Um, I, I think one of the things that I, I heard somebody say is that that think of the jobs and this is sort of like the, the claustrophobic and afraid of the dark. Think of the jobs that humans don't want to do, and that's yeah. that's the probably the best place to start trying to apply robots to. Um, but I guess are there are there jobs that you think on the human side that humans will always be needed for that we're really going to need a, an expert operator supervisor to, to even if you start like getting rid of the stuff people don't want to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always going to be a place for that human element within the supply chain. Um, you know, in my mind, you, you can't take the place of a human mind. Um, because even in the end, the robot has to be programmed, you know, hopefully that's going to always stay the, stay the same. And, you know, it's not going to be like iRobot where they start taking on their, their, uh, you know, human personalities and, and thinking for themselves. But, but in all reality, there has to be that level of programming of the robotics and, and what they do and how they do it. So the traditional worker in a warehouse may evolve and change. And they may become more of a, maybe an overseer of what the robotics solutions in a warehouse do. But I think, um, you know, I think there's there's always going to be a place for the for the people in the warehouse. Um, you know, it's with the early kind of this early phase of robotics and what they can do. It's it's it is going to be interesting to see what what they completely take over, if you will, um, versus what they, what they supplement it from, from a human's, you know, perspective. Yeah. I think about what you just said is analogous to what I've heard around AI, that the AI is not going to replace humans, but humans are going to be the ones that are being the most demand are people that are good at prompt engineering. So if you're good at knowing how to prompt the AI to do things, I feel like robots is the same. It also reminds me of one of the, the warehouses I went to that had a lot of robots I was asking the guy about labor and he goes, the, the hardest thing for me to find right now is uh, robotic people that can repair robots. So he's like, if I could get like 20 people that to just repair robots, it would just it'd make his life a lot easier, which is, I never even thought of that, but that's like a, a job that's, yeah, to your point, like they're, they can't fix themselves. Yeah. Well, you think about all the maintenance, you know, from a forklift to a conveyor system, to all these automated, you know, components of a warehouse, they need upkeep, they need maintenance, they need, you know, software, uh, you know, programming and all that good stuff. So, you know, the robotics are going to fall into that same category. And there's going to be a need for people to, you know, program and maintain, you know, those, you know, those, the robotics. Got it. So that's um, my, my final question. Is I'll, I'll step it back sort of the beginning of where we started. But for sure. companies that are, and I'm not going to say like stuck like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but companies that are still, relying on green screen technology, maybe Windows CE devices, legacy on-prem WMS systems. Sure. 
how, like when you consult with them and you're talking to them, how do you help them frame the, the, here's how you move to the future without it being super overwhelming? Like what's the basic, like blocking and tackling steps first, you know, crawl, walk, run. What's the, what's the Brian Gore formula? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, those are the, those are the, the sweet spot for us right now. And, you know, as they're migrating off the windows machines going to Android and they're sticking with green screen, but, you know, wanting to know what they, what more they can get out of it. Um, like we talked about earlier in the conversation, there's not a lot of COBOL programmers out there anymore. So enhancing the WMS side of things is harder and harder to do, but their processes and their workers are demanding more and more from a functionality standpoint. And so with velocity and, and kind of our approach to that is, you know, we can do that crawl, walk, run. We can introduce velocity on a new handheld we can give them just that green screen, you know, so they have the familiarity of the actual application while getting used to new hardware and, and how all that functions. Then we can take it a step further. We can introduce some, uh, you know, some minor improvements some optimizations where we give them a custom keyboard or, or, or a collection of keyboards. So, you know, on the new devices, if you pop up a keyboard or if you got a physical keyboard, there's a lot of hunting and pecking. There's a lot of two or three key sequences to get to a, a function key or, or something that you may need. Um, and with Velocity, we can create those custom keyboards to make it easier for that, you know, for the user to use the system. Um, you know, we can embed functions. We can embed, um, you know, we, we can give them a, a key that when they press it, fires off the scanner instead of pulling the trigger or hitting the button. So from an ergonomic standpoint, that button might be easier than the trigger or the side button, for example. Um, there's a lot we can do with just introducing keyboards alone into a, you know, a green screen application. Um, and we see a lot of immediate return our customers do from a customer's uh, worker satisfaction and an ease of implementation. Um, from there, we can get into a full-blown what we call modernization. So we take the green screens and we can analyze those green screens and then provide this um, you know, GUI interface or overlay to those green screens and, and bring them into you know, the 20th century. You know, we give them buttons, we can give them colors, we can give them images, you know, everything that the green screens traditionally didn't have. You know, you're looking at a black background with green text. It's hard to find what you're looking for. Everything's number driven on a menu. Um, now we have buttons. We can give them colors. We can make certain components of the screen stand out. So their eyes are drawn to, you know, an item that they're supposed to be picking. Um, and then we can start embedding processes where, you know, if they have to go three or four menu clicks to get to their picking process, for example, we can give them a button that with one click, it traverses all of those menu options and gets them there with one click rather than, you know, four or five clicks. Over the life of the use of that application by that user and those shifts and et cetera, you know, those three or four seconds adds up to a, a, a lot of time savings for the company over, you know, a number of years. And so those are the optimizations that we can provide. The user acceptance is better. Um, you know, we can introduce a lot of functionality through scripting and, and different things that the WMS system could never do because it's antiquated or nobody knows how to maintain or optimize that system anymore. We become that conduit for, for the modernization and optimization through velocity. 
Got it. And then uh, I think from there, you start looking at the, the forms, the IoT, a lot of those advanced things once exactly. you start to get up to speed. Um, Brian, thank you for, for talking through this. So just a couple of quick summary of the key points I pulled out from today. I think, I think the, the first one is uh, robots are coming, but uh, there's going to be plenty of jobs for humans. I think the, uh, the second one is really around that, that the data, the IoT. There's going to be a lot more data we're collecting, uh, being able to understand what to collect, how to optimize that's big. And then, you know, the last point you just made around, you know, there is a path to go from legacy to to modern or to modernize without, without it being super painful. Um, and I guess on that note, Brian, if people wanted to find out more about some of those tools you mentioned or about what Wavelength does, where would they come to, to find more, more details for you guys? Sure. Um, you know, our, our primary website is avanti.com forward slash Wavelength. Um, we also have an Avanti Wavelength channel out on LinkedIn, so you can find us out there. And, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I'm also out on LinkedIn. So feel free to, to find me there and reach out and, and I can help facilitate any conversations or get you in touch with the right people within our group. Got it. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be spokesman for you. He's definitely, Brian's definitely bailed me out a bunch of times with the questions I have. So thank you very much for all your, help. your support in the past and uh, for, for spending time with me today. And uh, yeah, that's perhaps cool. it for this show. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at info at and uh, as always, if you if you like this, definitely uh, give us a like or a star or whatever whatever media you're consuming it on. Thank you and have a good one. Thank you, bro. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast. If you enjoyed the discussion, please take a few moments to rate us. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, please subscribe. To learn more about mobility topics or submit any questions, visit us at bluefletch.com.